0: Um, I really feel God is talking to us this morning about um, becoming like children again Steve started with that term thought and that activity um, to think about, you know, the animal Um, and the first thing I thought mentioned this morning is that you know, it's often said that children find it easier to hear from God quite simple, you know um, tap into what God is saying. I remember when Ali and I moved with Hannah and Nathan out of London in 2008. We moved to Tunbridge Wells, and when you move to a new town, you know we we'll, we'll kind of. We said to both the kids, we're going to try a few churches out. We're going to, you know, go for a few Sundays in a few different places just to see. You know, where we feel that God wants us to be, you know, what's going to be our church because it was so important. We wanted them to go on the journey with us about how, you know, you know that they would hear from God as well. I guess we're, that's what we were doing. We were trying to teach them to hear from God and do it together. And uh, we arrived in, the, in August, it was during the summer, it was, um, I seem to remember, it was midweek. One of the evenings, and we'd seen something in the local paper that said St. Matthew's Church um, no house groups during the summer, but come to church on whichever night it was, Wednesday night, and there'll be a prayer meeting. And so Ali and I thought, what's a nice way to just meet a few people from the church, just to introduce ourselves, just to see, you know, if, if this is the sort of fellowship we want to be part of. And we walked in, and it was, from my perspective, a bit disappointing four people, like most Jeff meetings actually, Um, four people gathered around, you know, and my immediately intuition was like, oh well, never mind, try try another one, (laughs) yeah. Anyway, they were lovely, welcoming, there were four of us so we doubled the number straight away, just too nice for them. Um, Anyway, the lovely hour where they just sort of welcomed us, pray for us, just really included us. And uh, we turned, you know, the end of the evening, we, we walked home, and Nathan just turns to me, and Nathan at this stage is four years old, I think four or six, maybe six, and he says, oh, it's, it's good that we found the right church straight away, isn't it? And absolutely convinced that, that that we'd met with God, that it was the right place for us, and we... we weren't we that? I said to Ali, why would would Nathan not be hearing from God? And we we never looked back and we spent eight years in that church, had a wonderful time there and and really I suppose that's where I got my calling into ministry was was being in that church and seeing that kind of um, uh, charismatic evangelical style of church that that we we wanted to be part of and wanted to become. So... um, yeah, don't underestimate, just, they've got kids, don't underestimate the way they hear God. Cause, uh, I think as adults we, we gradually gain filters and screens and veils and blockages. Uh, so unfortunately that's the way the world is I think, if we're not careful we end up getting disabled you know, with our spiritual ears. Um, uh, I often think of this when, uh, around Christmas when I'm sure you've all seen the Polar Express, you know, there's that thing about the Polar Express that you can't, when you become an adult, you can't hear the, the yeah. jingle of the bell. And uh, it always has a sort of moment of spiritual insight for me, I was think, gosh, is that is that, if we're not careful, is that what it's like to hear God, to not hear God when you're an Because we just surround ourselves with stuff and noise and... The world, the media, and everything else, and and well, I guess what I'm going to talk about tonight this morning really is is, is just a little bit of that. This book, John Mark Comer's the Elimination of Hurry, kind of is about that really, about how as adults, um, we need to slow down a bit. We need to get rid of all those distractions if we really want to hear God. Um. We need to slow down. I wonder how many times you touch your phone in a day. Anyone, anyone want to guess how many times the average iPhone user touches their phone? According, according to Apple, so. According to John Marconi, 2,617 times a day. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's not news. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I don't have any Androids like this. <laughs> Can't get signal. <single. laughs> um, but you know, I'm sure we're, we all say, you know, that's that's more than than I tell you, But you know, if I said to you, what would, what do you do the I minute? Mean, there's nothing going on. If you're at a bus stop and the bus is moving for 10 minutes or you're suddenly in a room, you're waiting for someone. Or, you know, what, what is our automatic assumption? What do we do? And for most of us it would be to grab our phone. Just for, what, for whatever reason, it's just that thing, isn't it? It's there. And it might be a game. It, my it might be. <laughs> Just to see how the steps Dave's done today. Or, uh, Wordle is becoming that thing, isn't it? Although he's he wants a day, thankfully. It's a good job, isn't it? Um, Cory Ten Boom said, if, if the devil can't make you sin, he'll make you busy. And it was somehow. Are able to create busyness even when we're not busy. You know, even when there's nothing going on, we, we have to fill our time with something. You know, What's that about? Just reflect for a minute. You know, well, why do we want to fill our time? Maybe we're just not able to, to, to rest. John Altberg says this, he says, hurry is not a, a disordered schedule, hurry is not a disordered schedule it is a disordered heart so I think the solution to getting everything done and and to living fulfilled lives is not um, is not having more time I think that's probably true, you know, it's, it, it's to slow down, it's to simplify our lives, and that's pretty much what this book is about. Um, and he starts off talking about the first step realising is to realise that we have limitations, that we can't do everything, we can't achieve everything. Uh, and when I was reading that, I was, I was just I was wondering if your personalities like mine, I mean, a few of us have been talking about Parkrun on and off all weekend, and... Um, I know that my personality is, is is to to do every version of everything that I can, you know, to to do the alphabet in Parkrun. I mean, what a load of nonsense, but you know, it's a challenge, so it's, it's got to be done, has not it? Um, you yeah. know, whether you know, you know, people. I mean, people who say they've done all the football grounds in the country, um, who've collected all the records or the volume of one particular artist, or, you know, I, I, I've done that as well. Um, I wonder why we do that. What is, the, what is what is it in our personality that we like to do that? Maybe you're not, but a, a lot of guys I know are like that. And Dallas Willard sort of picks something interesting out about that. He says, desire is infinite. He's talking about this infinite desire to get everything. Desire is infinite, partly because we were made by God, who is infinite. It's interesting, isn't it? So God is infinite and he made us, so there's an element of that kind of God's infinity within that nature of us. But he says when we fall away from God, or our mind is, goes off God, the desire for the infinite remains, but is replaced by things which can lead to destruction. But we can't do everything we can't achieve everything we can't collect everything and so I suppose my challenge one of my challenges for us this morning is to stop trying to do everything and start spending some time dwelling being being still there's nothing wrong with um, playing games, relaxing every now and then. But another trait, I suspect, of, of many of us, particularly when we were young, is, is is just to switch off and play a game, whatever that is, whether it's on our phone, or whether it's, you know, PlayStation, or whatever you want. Um, apparently the average guy spends 10,000 hours playing video games before they're 21. It was interesting that number when I read that, it struck me that I think that's the same number that. Do you remember the book of Banks? It was about becoming an expert. 10,000 10, hours is, is, is suggested as the number of hours that if you spend doing any activity, you become an expert in that activity. And it was written by a guy who, who became the British champion uh, table tennis champion. He ended up against the Olympics and, and he, he worked out that he'd spent 10,000 hours practicing. And he became the British champion. Um, Ten thousand hours. So you know, if you want to be an expert in the fourth level of um, <laughs> Mario Brothers, <laughs> or, or do you want to put your time for something else? How many hours of TV do we watch? <laughs> in an hour of TV before bed, we could read the whole Bible in six months. twenty minutes of playing a game on our phone, on our bus journey or hopefully, <laughs> uh, to work, we could pray for everyone we know. Paul says, Look carefully how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best of the time. He's talking about living deliberately intentionally. And and I wonder over the last two years how many bad habits we've really created. Because we've had, I guess, more time to waste. <laughs> not all of us, I appreciate that. And it, it's not meant to be a judgment, it's not meant to be a sort of reality check, I suppose, but, but it is you know, meant for us to just reflect, really, how we spend our time and maybe we just need to realign that time a little bit better. Particularly, you know, you know having thought about hearing God and, and thought about maybe it can be more natural than we thought, more everyday than we thought, easier to get into, seeing God in nature, in the everyday, in a film, in a movie, because we've begun to learn what God is like through Scripture. When I was praying for us um, earlier, last week, um, I don't know if I shared this in the first session or not, but I had a picture of um, (coughs) two ploughed fields. Did I share this? (laughs) The the first plowed field, it it was as if, you know, that sort of, the the verse that came to mind straight away after was was about uh, Jesus saying, you know, take my yoke. My yoke is easy, my burden is light, and it was this I had this really clear picture of a very clearly defined field which I was plowing. But it was very clearly defined. And it almost, almost felt like this is the next forty years or this is the this is the length of my life. And then next to that field was another field. And it was a different shape, it was it was narrower, but it went on forever. Went on for eternity. And I really sensed that, that Jesus was saying, you know, do, do you want to do this field? But it was the one that you've determined, decided. And you've decided to play this field your way, your rules, your defined shape. Well, what about this one? <laughs> this one goes on forever, this, this is my yoke. Still, still something to plan, something to do, still um, a yoke, but this is my yoke, this is easy, my burden is light, and look where it goes, it doesn't end, it goes on into eternity. And that sense, I think that I said at the start, that you know we can see God, and our relationship with God, and hear from God, we define it by needing God's help and his assistance, We want to hear from God so that we can do. And and that is only defined, that attitude, only defined by our lifetime. But if we see hearing from God as investing in our relationship with God for eternity, it never ends. Hearing from God is just that continuous relationship that goes on into eternity. And and as I sort of thought about that picture of the yoke and, and that verse... Come to me, all who are weary. Actually, Steve, do you mind looking that up? Or or someone, anyone? Um, Matthew 11, it is. And maybe, has anyone got the message version? Maybe you can find it on the phone if someone's got it. Has anybody got access? There's a message up there. Oh, that'd be handy. Just while you're finding it, just just looking up about. um, left one, big one. have seen it. Matthew 11. Yeah, Matthew 11. Um, so reading up about it, you know, a, a yoke. We obviously know the idea of a yoke sort of cattle plowing a field, but apparently the, the yoke is sometimes a way that they describe a rabbi, a teacher, in in um, New Testament times. And a rabbi's set of teachings, the way that he taught, the way he discipled, his followers, was considered to be his yoke, sort of like his way of living, a way of a way of reading the Torah, actually. It's almost a particular way of uh, understanding and interpreting scriptures and shouldering the weight of responsibility of life and work and family in the light of scripture. So, it could be interpreted that Jesus is saying, you know, take on my, yoke. Yeah, I'm, I'm your rabbi, you know, take on my way of interpreting scripture as you live and breathe and, and, and do. Shall we hear Matthew 11, is that? Yeah, which bit? Uh, it's the bit that says, come to me all who are weary. So that's at the end here, right? Okay. Are you tired, worn out, burned out in religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. It's a lovely words, isn't it? That's a mm-hmm. description. Unforced rhythms of life. So Jesus' invitation is to follow his way. Not just his way as God, but his way as a human. This is Jesus, the man, speaking. So, if we want to know how to live that rhythm of life, we need to read the Gospels. We need to see the person of Jesus and the way he had rhythms and routines. And, and before before you think, "Well, yeah, Jesus didn't have a proper job; he sort of wandered around and healed people." And you know, he was a busy guy. You know, you can read certain passages, and you can see everyone wants to speak to him. Everyone wants him to heal them. Everyone. You know, he was, he had the potential for have a lot of anxiety and stress, you know. And yet, whenever you read a gospel passage, you never get the impression that he's anxious. And in this passage, he's not offering an escape, he's not saying, you know, get away from it all, you know, go over on an island, go and have a retreat, maybe a couple of weeks. What he's offering is is equipment, I guess, uh, a way of living within this framework. You see it, there's so many different interactions with him. You know, there's, there's a moment which has really struck me again. He, Jairus comes to him and says, My daughter's dying, but she may well already be dead. And, you know, he's kind of rushed, well, Jairus is trying to rush Jesus to get to his daughter to heal her. And if if you just read that little passage, it's amazing, because you just get the impression that Jesus is, yeah, he's following, he's going. But at that point, someone comes up and grabs his cloak, it's the woman who's been bleeding, uh, and he stops and heals her. There's no rush. In fact, he deals with that interruption in an extraordinary way. Still gets to where he's going, he still heals Jairus' daughter. But there's no anxiety, there's no stress. Uh, and you know, we were talking about the other day about um, embracing the interruption. I think Jesus did that perfectly. He saw that as an opportunity for healing that woman grabbing his cloak. And he does it time and time again. Even when they tell him Lazarus is dead, it's hilarious. He says, Yeah, we'll go in a couple of days. There's no rush. <laughs> quite often this rhythm of life um, it is described in a sort of monastic way as a rule of life and it's quite trendy nowadays to talk about a rule of life with the great they're quite often, and others you know, having a, a way of um, living within the context of what we do um, and I think it was uh, Rowan Williams that talks about his rule of life a bit like a vine. And some of this, we were talking about it earlier in the week, the weekend. I think just this idea of having a structure, which is a bit like the trellis that a vine will grow on. Um, and Rowan Williams, in one of his books about discipleship, says that the purpose of the vine. Sorry, the purpose of the trellis is not to make the vine grow straight, it's to produce a nice glass of wine. I <laughs> just thought it was a really profound thing to think, you know, we, we don't have structure in our life so that we're rigid, so that we're ordered, so that we get through the day and think, "Phew, yeah, well I've done it, tick, next day. We have order and structure and discipline in our lives so that we can flourish. So that we can see God's grace and God's truth in our lives. I, I really like that. So, what what are the kind of rules of life that we that we should consider? Maybe I'll just scribble a few ideas down. Um, and and this is coming from John Mark Cameron in his book, The Elimination of Hurry. So he suggests four practices, solitude, Sabbath, and these are all modeled on the life of Jesus in the Gospels. Simplicity. (laughs) going so to ask you that question again. When nothing is occupying my attention, I well, what? What did you do? When nothing is occupying your attention, what do you do? And most of us have already suggested that this is the answer, and yet if we think about that for a moment, even logically, what do we say? Why is this so, so important? And if we have our gift of a moment where nothing is occupying our attention in the day, what, what else could we be doing? This robs our ability to be present. Jesus was always present in those moments. He was looking for opportunities. Present to the environment, he was present to people, he was present to God, he was present to himself, he knew his needs as well. We are distracting ourselves into spiritual oblivion, I read in one of his books. It's a bit stark, isn't it? We just don't like silence, we're not used to it. I think some of us grew up in the 80s, we know what boredom is like. (laughs) <laughs> I don't think anyone that's grown up since the invention of the internet actually has a concept of order. yeah but Henry Newman said without solitude it is virtually impossible to live a spiritual life and there's something about that that takes away all the distractions and I appreciate that you know people have busy lives but None of us, or none of us are going to survive if we were 24-7, We've got to find space for solitude. And we know that when we read the Gospels we see Jesus takes himself away to spend time alone, to pray, to reflect, to get ready for the day, to make decisions. And time and time again I encourage you when you read it, just notice when he makes big decisions. notice what he's just done before then there's one where he turns up at the village and the disciples go, oh thank goodness you're here where have you been, everyone wants to meet you, they want you to pray for them, and Jesus goes, oh no we're going to the next village now because he's just spent time with the Lord and just decided, you know just heard from him that we need to go somewhere else, we can't just stay in the same place so taking ourselves away we need to do it, we need to do it regularly for Jesus that's more important than sleep he did it in the middle of the night it's more important than food solitude, time away from the distractions to to receive from the Father simplicity I'm just going to rattle through these I think pretty quickly Um, of Sabbath sorry, taking a day off a week again this guy ran a busy church and burnt out and then thought, hang on a minute, what am I doing? I'm going to kill myself. It's so I'm I'm getting so busy. I'm going to exhaust myself. So, most of these guys suggest taking a day off a week, just to be with the Lord, just to receive from the Lord, not focusing on stuff, on work. And if you can't do that, an hour a day. A minute, an hour, whatever, whatever it works, whatever works for you. But something where you know you just think the simple way. Simplicity again, cutting out all those things, all those distractions, all the stuff we don't need, and slowing. Mm -hmm. Why? Why are we always planning what's next? Because they're anxious about their current state. Always thinking about tomorrow, next task, even before we finish the current one. If we slow down the pace of our life, we're present. That's why Jesus was always present. He fixed his eyes on the cross, he knew where he was going as well. Don't get me wrong. (coughs) But he was always present to the people around him, to God, to the environment. There's a, there's a very simple activity you can do at the end of every evening called the, the examining which is another spiritual practice just just to pause just to reflect on the day it's a really helpful thing to do just to centre to yourself I guess reflect on the day <coughs> give thanks, rejoice all those things that have gone on in that day maybe repent if, if there are moments where you think oh, I've got that wrong and then just reset, three hours, four hours, reflect, rejoice, repent, rest. <coughs> so I guess just some tips really, just to think about how we might slow down, practically centre ourselves on God, look at the model of Jesus' life and his routine. Um... So, I just want to finish with, with just a very brief look at Moses, um, because I was reading it last night and it, it really struck me. Particularly, most of us have got have got jobs and and, and careers, and, and um, it, it's almost particularly as guys, we tend to see our, what we do as our identity, don't we? Um, Steve, can you read Exodus 4? Yep. I just want to look at the moment after Moses meets God at the burning bush. And we always think about that the burning bush is the moment where God speaks to Moses. And, in our, uh, and certainly in my memory of it, I always think, Moses is the burning bush. So, the burning bush, that's the bit I remember. I can't forget the words that Jesus that Moses and, and um and then God have with each other. Just verse one to five. Thank, Thank you. Exodus four, one to five. Yeah. No, it's not, it's uh it says, uh, Moses answered, What if they do not believe me or listen to me and say, The Lord did not appear to you? Then the Lord said to him, What is that is your hand? A star for your blood. The Lord said, Throw it on the ground. Moses threw it on the ground and it became a stake. And he ran from it. Then the Lord said to him, Reach out your hand and take it by a tail. So Moses reached out and took hold of his snake, and it turned back into a staff in his hand. This, said the Lord, is said that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. I think I've nearly always skimmed over that a little bit, really, we just thought of it as a sort of a nice, you know, demonstration of God's power. Bit of evidence for Moses to, to demonstrate that God was with him, um, but then I read something, and uh, forgive me, I can't remember who had written it. It wasn't in one of these these books, and it's talking about m- what Moses' staff represented, and what it represents for us. And I want to finish with this, really, just as we go back and maybe reevaluate who we are and what we do tomorrow morning. For Moses, his staff represented his identity his income and his influence because he was a shepherd and his staff represented his identity he was a shepherd and when you see I should have brought it <laughs> um, you gave me a staff last time I was here a crook um, so his staff represented his identity who he was it uh, it, 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 it It represented his wealth, I suppose, in the sense that, you know, his flock was what, you know, was his income. His wealth was sort of measured by his livestock. And and obviously, you use your stick, your staff, to move the sheep around, to influence them. So it was his influence as well, the way that he directed the sheep. And God says to Moses, lay down your staff. Lay down your staff. Lay down your identity. Lay down your wealth. Lay down your influence. And it comes to life. We all think snakes are bad news in the Bible, don't we? But I'm just getting us to think a little bit wider. The stick comes to life. And if we lay down our identity, our income, our influence, God will bring life to it. the song somehow save life by the frame in my head. Mm. It's the end, did but the last by two by the same repeating the back of my mind's mm. thought mm. yeah. Amazing song. But what happens when Moses picks up the stick? The stick. He goes back again. It dies, essentially. When, when Moses takes back control of that, his identity, his influence, his wealth, the life goes out of it. And I just wonder if there's something for us in that. That when we lay down, when we're prepared to lay down our identity... Our wealth, our influence, all the things that make us, that we think make us us, we give, lay them down for God and we say, Lord, you have it. God breathes life into it. You saying um, it loses its life when it turns back into us? When, when Moses mm-hmm. takes control again, when he picks it up. Moses so, what, what I'm through. saying is, what we, we need to give God control of our lives, allow him breathe life into our identity and in, uh, into our wealth, whatever we have and our influence. And there's, there's just one final thing about this rod, this staff, because um, if you think about, if you read the story of Exodus, you carry all the way through, it's the staff that is responsible for everything. It, Moses uses that staff to part the Red Sea, Moses uses that staff in every single of the the, the plagues. Moses uses that staff to strike the rock, and water comes out of it. It's it's all about the staff. But if you read it, it's never called the staff again. It's never called Moses' staff again. Did you read it? You never see that word again. What? Do you, any idea what it's called? do will know what. It's called the rod of God. <laughs> it's, it's, it's the rod of God from that point onwards because Moses has laid it down. And so I just want to end with that kind of challenge to us really of submission. You know, are we, are we serious about that? Wanting to hear God and allow God to breathe life into who we are and what we do. Because if we're serious, if we want to hear God and for God to influence us in His kingdom, the way of Moses and the way of Jesus is to lay down the lives. The so maybe we just close our eyes for a moment. Let's just use this as a moment just to submit to God, just to give God our, our identity, who we are, who, what we do, our family, uh resources, all that's available to us. And Lord, we, we just choose to lay it down. Lord, it's tired of managing our own lives and plowing our own furrow That we willingly lay down those things, it's like taking that yoke that we've created for ourselves and laying it down, taking on the yoke of Jesus that we choose your yoke We want to learn from you. You're our teacher. You're a shepherd. I would choose to walk with you into eternity. Use us. Use us for your kingdom.